I'll be honest with you. Probably never preached a message before that has as much scripture in it as this one. But that's okay, right? Seven of you, okay with it. The rest of you don't like the Bible. <laughs> um, it's good because, and I want this to get, I want this to become part of our DNA. If you want a word from God, you need to go to the word. You need to go to the word of God. Yes, that's right. So I got three places I want you to, to bookmark, and we're going to flip to, uh, as we open up this message, I want you to go to Jeremiah 17, Jeremiah 17, Matthew chapter 12, and then Galatians 5, Matthew, or excuse me, Jeremiah 17, Matthew 12, and then Galatians chapter 5. I've debated on putting a fourth one in there, but my Bible only had three ribbon markers, so I had to stop at three. And as we, as we dive into this, I want to, um, I want to encourage you. If, if you didn't bring a Bible today, I want to encourage you to bring your Bible to church. I'm so thankful for Bibles on our phones, and I don't, I don't discredit that. You know, if that's what you've got, then praise God for that. Uh, praise God that we live in a world where we can have the Bible literally at our fingertips at any point during the day, right? But I want to encourage you, bring a paper Bible to church. Read a paper Bible as often as you can. It's just statistically shown that reading uh, from something that's not a phone, whether you're talking about a book or whatever, uh, you're going to have better attention. You're not going to get distracted as easily. Uh, I mean, we understand that, right? And uh, so I want to encourage you in that. And I also want to encourage you today, if, if you've got something to take notes with, take notes today. Maybe you don't have something to take notes with, and maybe, maybe that's what your phone's going to do for you today. You're going to take notes in your phone, because we're talking about the topic of love as we continue our series on the fruit of the Spirit. And, and, it's, and it's some good stuff. And I'm not saying that because it's my sermon, but I'm saying it because it comes from the Word. And it's going to be good. And as I've, as I've begun this series, I've tried to... In the beginning of my messages, lay down some theological groundwork to help us grow in our understanding of God and His Word and His plan for our life. And, and I don't want it today to be any different. And so I want to offer to you some understanding of the difference between the fruits of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. We're, we're preaching on the fruit of the Spirit, but we are also thankful for the gifts of the Spirit. Amen? And they are different. Um, and if you're not familiar with the gifts of the Spirit, that's okay. We'll, we'll interject a few things, and you'll pick up some stuff. Um, but, but gifts, now this is, this is profound, and I, and I realize that before I say it. Gifts are, are given as gifts. And therefore, they cannot be earned, right? They can only be received and deployed because the purpose of gifts is to edify the church, right? It's to build up other believers. Gifts are given, but fruit takes time to grow, right? Fruit takes time to grow. Gifts, because they're given, they cannot be earned, they cannot be worked for. Fruit, however, it takes time and it must be cultivated. It takes, it takes work and it must be cultivated. Now, when we talk about working for the fruit, 
we don't necessarily work to produce fruit, but we do work to stay close to Jesus, and that's what produces the fruit of the Spirit. And, and what I mean by that is, every single day, you are presented with options in your life. Options to act or behave or to do things that are in alignment with sin and humanity or, or, or the options to do things that are in alignment with God's word, God's way, and God's will. And so, listen, can I get a witness that that takes work to make the right choice, right? It takes some work to nail that flesh to the cross and say, no, 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 no. You don't get to do that today. Today, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In this life that I live, I'm not going to live it fulfilling the lust of the flesh. No, I'm going to live it by faith, right? I'm going to live it by faith in Jesus. And so we receive those gifts, we use those gifts, but fruit takes work because we have to be close to Jesus. Gifts are representative of ability, but fruit is representative of character. And I didn't say this in first service, it's not in my notes, but it occurred to me um, while I was over there doing worship. And I say this even with a little bit of hesitation because it's, I don't, I don't like this, but it's still true. Gifts can be faked. Gifts can be faked. But you can't fake fruit. I mean, if you can, you can't fake it for long, right? You know what I'm saying? Eventually the real you is going to show you okay? Is that good? Are y'all good? Gifts are what I do because I am filled with the Spirit, but fruit is who I am because I'm filled with the Spirit. That's why you can't fake fruit. Gifts exist because God wants to change the world. That's the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit, to build up believers, to edify the church, to to have insight, to understand things that the Lord's revealing to us, to be able to speak to situations, to bring comfort or clarity through words of prophecy, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, right? Gifts are given because God wants to change the world, but fruit is given because God wants to change me. God wants to change you. Gifts come as an act of God's grace. He gives them. You don't have to... You're, Gifts of the Spirit don't mean you're special. That just means that, that God wants to do something through you to benefit someone else. But fruit comes as a natural byproduct of me staying rooted in Christ. That's the only way fruit can come. And fruit cannot be faked. You see, we don't, we don't have the fruit. Like, for instance, today we're talking about the fruit of love. We don't have the fruit of love because we work really hard at being loving. You know, another one that we'll talk about later on, patience. That's my least favorite, but we'll cover that later. I don't, you, don't, you don't have the fruit of patience because you work really hard at being patient. You have the fruit of patience because you are close to Jesus. And Jesus slowly but surely is cultivating change inside of you, making you look more like him and less like the person you used to be before Jesus became your Lord and your Savior. Amen? And so we don't, we don't have the fruit of love because we work really hard at being loving. We love because we have received the Holy Spirit. 
We are connected to, Christ, connected to Christ, which produces love for God, love for people, and yes, even love for yourself. You guys ready to jump into this today? Come on, I said, are y'all ready to jump into this today? All right. As we get ready to read the word, I don't want to invite you to stand in, in honor of the word. We'll start in Jeremiah 17. It says in verse number 7, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. It sounds like the same thing repeated twice, but it's very different. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. Also, blessed is the one who just trusts the Lord. Sometimes we trust God because of what he does, but more than more often than not, we, we just trust God because of who he is. I, I love this saying. When you cannot see God's hand, trust his heart. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. And it does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green. And it is not anxious in the year of drought. For it does not cease to bear fruit. What he's saying is this person that's planted in the Lord, planted by streams of living water. That's Jesus, by the way. Even when circumstances around it cause drought, even when circumstances around it uh, become chaotic, the fruit is still produced because what you produce is less uh, about what you're surrounded by and more about who you are rooted in. I'm going to have to work hard today. Y'all let me know this. All right. I ain't afraid. If you you really like to study the Bible, this passage of Scripture connects really well to Psalm 1 and John 15. Now let's flip to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. If you buy a new Bible, go ahead and get get, get one that has three ribbon markers because I like that. Let's go three. I was going to do four Scriptures, but I didn't have the fourth ribbon marker, so I could only do three. Matthew 12, verse 33, Jesus says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. How many of y'all know that Jesus ain't talking about trees right now? He's talking about people. Now, there's a lot of people in this world, they, they know one Bible verse, but they don't even know the whole verse. They don't know where it's at. But they heard it once, they fell in love with it, and they like to quote it as often as they can when someone confronts them with a situation in their life that's not good. The Bible says don't judge. That's the verse they know. Right? You probably said it before, right? Jeez, come on, guys. Can I tell you, I've said it before, right? But, but that's, you need to learn more of the Bible then just to quote that one verse out of context, because Jesus is telling us, listen, if you want to know, you, if you want to know about people's relationship with me, look at their fruit. And if there's good fruit there, well, hey, that means they're connected to good ground. But if there's not good fruit there, then hey, their source isn't good either. So the only way we can produce good fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. I think I said them all, is if we are connected to the one who works in us to produce that fruit, right? Now, let's go to Galatians 5, third Bible marker. Galatians 5, verse 22. Let's read these together. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And then verse 24 says, And to those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Some of y'all repeating that too. Praise God for you. The rest of y'all gave up a long time ago. No. When we're filled with the Spirit, we go where He goes. We follow where He leads. Father, I pray that we may live in Your presence today and every day and with our lives that we would be a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto you and that that would be the way we worship as a living sacrifice that we would take up our cross and follow you wherever you may lead and Holy Spirit that you would so fill us with yourself that the fruit of the Spirit would ripen in our lives love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And Lifehouse said, amen. Amen. One more time as you're seated. Can we celebrate the Lord? Yeah. Amen. Amen. God is love. No doubt you've heard that before, right? And it's in the Bible. That's, that's scripture. God is love. It says in 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8, this is the same John who wrote the Gospel of John. He writes uh, later on uh, the, the three epistles that are named after him, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Everybody say that with me. Love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because, now say this one with me as well, God is love. Now, uh, God is love. The, the world though, and I don't want to hurt feelings today, I don't want to ruffle feathers, but I also have to be faithful to the scriptures, and I have to be obedient to the Lord, and I have to live my life more in, in fear of the Lord than in fear of man and, or the opinions of man. And with that being said, I have to tell you today, and you probably already know where I'm going, the world is trying to sell a lie, a, a lie that has infiltrated every aspect of our culture, especially in our American Western society, a lie that has infiltrated uh, businesses in corporate America. Uh, you can hardly go into a place of business and, and not be confronted in some shape, form, or fashion with this lie. And the lie that is being sold is that love is love. But that is not what the Bible says. And I can either submit myself to the word of God and live in accordance with his way, his will, and his word, 
or I can submit myself to the whims, and they are whims because they change with each passing season of this world. God is love, not love is love. And, and the thing about the love of God, the love that is God, is, is that it is not merely an attribute of God's character. God doesn't just do loving things. God is love. He, he embodies love. All that God is, is love. God created love. God, God manifests love. And apart from God, love, real love, true love, the love that we're talking about cannot be known. And any love, and I'm not being hateful, but I'm, I just need to air quote it right because it's not love. Any love that contradicts the character of God, the word of God, or the way of God, it's not love. It's not love. It might be affection. It might be infatuation. It might be obsession. It might be addiction. But it's not love. It's not love. Jesus said himself, if you love me, keep my commands. Well, how can we as believers say that we love Jesus, but we don't do what he says? We don't love the way he said love. And often what people call love in our world, in our culture, in our media, it's deceitful. It's, it's lustful. It's impure. And, and it's really, oftentimes, it's not love at all. In fact, it's sin. Because it is in direct contradiction to the God who is love. And, and instead of being a fruit of the Spirit, which the first one is love, right? It actually aligns more with you go up a few verses, the lust of the flesh or the, or the, the, the works of the flesh. You guys okay? God is love. Love isn't love, but God is love. And all true love, real love, if it's, if it's real love, then it reflects the nature, the goodness, the way, the word, and the will of God. I'll preach this whether you like it or not, apparently. Yeah. God is love. Love is fundamental to the Christian faith. Paul says in Galatians 5, a few verses before we, what we just read, he says, For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. And all the, the Christian men who did not have that procedure done as a child, who love Jesus and are glad to be part of his church, are so thankful for that verse today. Amen? Amen. It may not be you, but there's someone you know that's very thankful for that Bible verse right there. He says, the works of the, what he's saying is what we do in the flesh, what we do to our flesh, it really doesn't matter. What really matters as we follow Jesus is faith, but not faith itself, faith expressing itself in love. What's, what is most, this might be the one of the most important single sentences in all of Scripture. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. Verse 13 says, 
For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. We, we are free in Christ, right? We're, we're thankful for that freedom. But when we use our freedom to satisfy the works of the flesh or to satisfy our sinful nature, that actually leads us to slavery. I'll give you a really quick example. I've got my truck right out here. And if I were to get in my truck, I can go anywhere I want to go that my wife tells me I can go. Right? I can, I, can, I can drive as fast as my truck will go. I can go as fast as I want. I can run every red light I want. I can drive in either lane that I choose to do so, right? I can do that. I am free to do that. But how many of you know that if I go and I do that, eventually I will lose my freedom to drive anywhere? And that's how sin works. Like, we are free in Christ to live in the law and in the way of the Spirit. But if we use our freedom to do the things that are against the will and the word and the way of God, then that freedom will be sacrificed on the altar of fulfilling my lustful, sinful pleasures. And I will make myself a slave to sin. He says, don't use your freedom to do that. Use your freedom to serve each other. Another way you can think about this is like, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to say anything. I don't even want to talk about anything that might cause a brother or sister of, in Christ, and I don't know what that was, to sin. Okay, sorry. And, and so, for instance, let's say, let's say AJ, he... Um, he has a chocolate addiction. Is that? You have, you have a chocolate addiction? For the purposes of this sermon. So like, I'm not going to sit down in front of AJ with my, I have, I have a cookie jar at home, like a big one. My wife is, is aware of it. And it is full of Dove chocolates, right? Mm, I'm getting hungry right now thinking about it. You know, I started eating Dove chocolates and all the other chocolate just lost its taste. You can keep your Hershey's, right? I'm not going to put that down in front of AJ and start eating it myself and, and knowing that AJ can't, because I know AJ can't control himself. I'm not going to, I'm using that as an example because there are things in our life that we need to be careful of, not because we have a problem with it, but because someone that we love maybe in this room has a problem with it. Is, does that make sense? And so we have to be careful. We don't want to use our freedom to, to, to cause someone else to sin. We want to use our freedom to serve one another in love. And Paul says this, For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, for Paul to say, the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Like we read that and we're like, okay, cool, Paul. But you've got to remember where Paul came from to truly appreciate the, the sentence that he just writ, had just written. Paul, who used to be known as Saul because Saul is the Hebrew name for Paul, right? That's the, the way you say it in Hebrew, was a Pharisee. Not only was he a Pharisee, he admits it himself. He was a Pharisee among Pharisees. His zeal for the law was above and beyond anybody else's. This is the man Paul 
recall that when Stephen in the book of Acts was preaching Jesus, that, that Paul said he got a bunch of people together and he said, you need to go take care of that guy. Here, give me your coats. Give me your, I'll hold this while y'all go take care of that guy. And they picked up rocks and they began to stone Stephen. And Stephen became the first Christian martyr. That's the Paul who not only observed the Ten Commandments that Moses gave, but he also observed the 613 additional commandments that the Jews had written over the last 600 years and added to the law themselves. That was the Paul that we're talking about. And he says the whole law, that whole stuff that I used to keep, every single bit of it can be summed up into this one sentence. Love your neighbor the way you love yourself. Jesus says in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. And as a follower of Jesus, love, it, it's, it's on a whole different level. It's prioritized above everything else. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, the whole chapter. You guys ready for this? The whole thing. Because it wasn't written to just be read at weddings, right? That's okay if you do that. Nope, no big deal. But it was actually written to a church in turmoil. And Paul was like, let me, let, me, let me show you how we're supposed to care for one another, how we're supposed to love one another, how we're supposed to protect one another. He says, if I speak in tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I can be preaching the best sermon you have ever heard. I can be preaching the best sermon that's ever been preached. But if my motivation within me isn't because I love you and I care about you, then I might as well get back there and start banging on those drums. There it went. There, there it is. Scare me. Scare me. Woo. I'm going to need a towel, y'all. We have to use that first message for the recording. Lord. Jonathan. I hope that's Jonathan. Who is that? Is that? That's great. Y'all got to give me a minute now. At least you're awake now, right? <laughs> Paul is saying, listen, if what you do is not rooted in love, you're just, you're just making noise. You're just making a racket. And, and it doesn't sound good. It's not helping anybody. He says, if I've got prophetic powers and I understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge and I have all the faith as to remove mountains, but I don't have love I have nothing. You can be speaking in tongues. You can be prophesying. You can, be, you can have such faith that you can say to this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea, right? That's what Jesus said. But if it's not rooted in love, you got nothing. Nothing at all. He says in verse 3, he says, if I give everything I have away, if I deliver up my body to be burned as a martyr, but I have not love, I gain nothing. If I take everything I have to, and I give it to help people, but it's not motivated by love, then it's nothing. You know what it is when, when you do that? It's a show. It's a show. It, it, it's a desire to impress people, to look important, to look special, to look like you matter. 
He says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It endures all things. In verse 8, it says, love never ends. Prophecies, they'll pass away. One day, all the prophecies will be fulfilled. We don't, we don't need any more prophecies, right? Tongues, they're going to cease. We're not going to need tongues. We're not going to need interpretation. Knowledge, it'll pass away. But uh, he says in verse 9, For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, in other words, when we see him face to face, the partial will pass away. He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Can I be, can I be real with you in a moment? For a moment, like part of the problem in the church. And, and listen, I told this to the men this, this past uh, Friday when we gathered on Friday night. I said, you know, it's really easy for us as Christians, as, as people who love Jesus, who value the scriptures, to, to look at the condition of our world and say, you know what, if the government would just do this, everything would be better. Or to look at Hollywood and say, you know, if they would just do this, this would be better. Or to look at someone else and to cast the blame. But, but the, the hard truth is, if we really wanted to blame someone for the condition of our world, it would be men of God who were acting like boys of God. It would be... It would be the ones who should have been leading were, were, were hiding. The ones who should have been serving were sitting. The ones who should have been giving were taking, right? At some point in our life of following Jesus, we have to give up childish ways and become men. And women have to become women. And own the responsibility that everything that we're looking at in our world today is not, is not the product of a government. It's not the product of, 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 of someone else. It's the product of us not being who we were called to be. And until we change, nothing changes. You guys okay? That's why I've been preaching so much lately about us b- b- pursuing holiness and committing ourselves to the Lord. And, and getting serious about his word and serious about his presence and serious about this way and this life of faith. He says, when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. He says in verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. He says, now I know in part, then I shall f- know fully, even as I have been fully known. And so he says just in verse 13, he says, so now faith, hope, and love abide. Some translations say, um, we'll we'll never cease. They'll they'll always be there. But the greatest of these is love. Or love never fails, right? You see, in eternity, we won't need prophecy. In eternity, we won't need faith. See, See, we won't need faith when we're with him for eternity, right? Because all the fulfillment of everything we've ever believed for will be there. We won't even need hope. Because why do we need hope today? Because we hope for a future we have yet to realize, right? But when we see him face to face, the need for hope will cease because all of our hopes will have become a reality. But guess what will still exist? Love. That's why it's the greatest. That's why it matters so 
much. You see, Jesus even says himself that love is the true test of discipleship. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And in verse 35, he says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. A minute ago, we talked about judging, right? I mentioned that just kind of in passing about how, you know, one of, some, one of everybody's favorite Bible verses, the Bible says don't judge. They don't know where it's at. They don't know the whole verse. They just know it says that, and they like that part, right? But guess what, men and women of God? Jesus gave the world the right to judge the church. I'm going to say it again because you need to hear it. You need to understand it. Jesus gave the world the right to love the church. He says in verse 35 again, by this, what's this? Your love for one another. The world will know that you are my disciples. Not, not because you cast out demons. They won't know that you're my disciples because you prophesy. They won't know that you're my disciples because you speak in tongues. They won't know you're my disciples because you read the Bible a lot or because you've memorized a bunch of scriptures or because you pray four hours a day or, or you go to church every Sunday or you go to church every Wednesday. They will know that you are my disciples because you love one another. And as I said earlier, love is a command. Paul writes the church in Rome, and he says in chapter 13, verse 8, he says, no, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Again, you've got to realize the radicalness of what Paul is saying compared to the way he used to live. Love fulfills the law. For the commandments, he says, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this one word or in this one statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says in verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So how... How do we cultivate, how do we produce this fruit of love? Now, I said way earlier in this message, the way fruit is produced is not by working hard to produce fruit, but primarily it's by working hard to stay close to Jesus. Or maybe working hard is not the best way to use those words. By choosing Jesus and by choosing the way of God, the will of God and the word of God over the way my flesh and my sinful desires might want to take me. That is the primary way. But I, but I want to, with that in mind, I want to give you three ideas of how we produce the fruit of love. The first one is, is really elementary, but, but really necessary. First and foremost, love has to be received. Love has to be received, first and foremost. And, and maybe, maybe no one's told you this lately. Maybe as you sit there in this chair... You're not really feeling this way, but I, I don't know what your story is. I don't, I don't know what you, what you did this morning. I don't know where you've been or what you've done. I don't know your background, but you need to know right here, right now, that you are worthy of love. You see, how do I know that you're worthy of love? It's because of this water bottle. <laughs> not really. So this, this water bottle came from Sam's Club. It's a member's mark bottle. I think you can buy 48 of them for about 4 or $5. Am I right? Anybody been to Walmart recently or Sam's Club recently? And so I don't know. I can't do math in my head. But this, this water bottle only probably cost a few pennies, right? 
at most. And, but while I may have paid just a few pennies for this, let's just say, let's just make up a hypothetical scenario where you have gone without water for a few days and you are thirsty and I have a monopoly on the Members Mark water bottles and there is nowhere else to get water. Like, you have to buy it for me. Just because I paid four cents for this doesn't mean that I'm going to let you have it for four cents because I know what you've got in your bank account. And all of a sudden, this singular bottle of water becomes infinitely more valuable to you than it was before, right? Right? How do I know that you are valuable? The reason why I know that you are valuable, the reason why I know that you are worthy of love, the reason why I know that you possess intrinsic value beyond anything that any of us can currently com comprehend or understand is because G uh, God paid Jesus for you. That's how I know that you are valuable. That's how I know that you are worthy of love because the real value of something isn't, isn't just what we say it's worth. The real value of something is found in how much someone's willing to pay for it. And God paid Jesus for you. That's why he says in John 3, 16, the second Bible verse that everybody knows, right? God so loved the world that he gave. You ever, you ever go to a store that's not like a chain retail store and, and you're trying to will and deal with someone and you say, you know what? Hey, I'll give, I'll give you $5 for it. What we mean is I'll pay you $5 for it. Well, God so loved the world that he paid Jesus. He paid his only son Guys, come on, help me out now. Listen. So that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, what's so freeing and beautiful about that is God doesn't love you, and he doesn't value you because you bring so many lovable and valuable things to the table. Can, can we just be real about that? He, he loves you. It, actually, let's just say it like this in Romans 5, 8. God showed his love, or God demonstrated his love. That by, or he, Let me just read it. God showed his love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. In the, in the midst of our undeservingness, God sent his son. And so the greatest commandment, and I'll read it in just a minute, focuses on loving God, loving others, and loving ourselves, which sounds weird. Let's just be real about that. Like to say that you love yourself is a, is a, is a strange statement. Most of us, most, most people I know, sadly struggle with loving themselves. They struggle with valuing themselves. They struggle with seeing themselves the way others especially the way God sees them. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 22. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He says, this is the greatest and first commandment. In verse 39, and he says, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as, say it for me, yourself. And so let me, let, me, let me just break this down for you real quick. Here, here's the way the order of lo love works, like real love, God's love. Not, not, not love is love, but the God is love kind of love. Number one, you realize how much God loves you. 
This, this is what draws us into salvation. This is what draws us into relationship with God, that, that we realize God loved me so much. He demonstrated his love for me by sending Christ to die for me while I was still a sinner. That God so loved the world that he gave or that he paid his only son so that whosoever would believe upon him shall be saved, right, and have eternal life. That is amazing that the God who knows me better than I know me, that the God who made me, the God who understands all my faults and failures even better than I could ever understand my faults and failures, that he loves me. And that's amazing. I think we should just celebrate that right now. <laughs> and so we realize the love that God has for, for us. And then according to 1 John four nineteen, we love him back because he first loved us. It's like when you realize, wow, God loves me so much. It creates within you a capacity to reciprocate that love back to him. We love because he first loved us. Now, this is when it gets interesting. We receive God's love. We, 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 we see, wow, God, you love me. We reciprocate that love to him. And then we, we actually, and this is a good thing, we begin to love ourselves. Why do we begin to love ourselves? Because we, get, we, get, we begin, I can't talk, we begin to see ourselves the way God sees us. Because we realize that we are so greatly loved by God. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's handiwork, or some translations say that we are God's workmanship, or that we are God's masterpiece. Any handyman in the house, anybody ever build a few things by trade or just for fun? Hey, let me ask you, fellas. Hey, Michelle, raise your hand real, real high in the air. Let me, just, let me just ask you, have you ever built something or made something, and you looked at it and you said, mm, it'll do? Yeah. You ever do that? Yeah. Yeah. What, who said it's country good. I like that. I'm going to hold on to that one right there. I like it. And that's okay for you and I to do, but can I tell you right here, right now, God ain't never done that. There's nothing that he's ever made that he said, ah, it'll do. Oh, it's good enough. Can I just tell you, in a universe where you have planets like Jupiter and Saturn and solar systems like ours and galaxies like the Milky Way and the Andromeda Galaxy and, and you've got microscopic details in so many areas of life. I'm a planet Earth nerd. I love to watch that kind of stuff. And, you, and I love to learn about it. And, I, and I'm just fascinated by how lizards change colors and all this crazy stuff. Can I just tell you that in that kind of a universe, universe God looks at Jupiter and he's like okay that's pretty cool but then but then he looks at Jericho and he's like now that that's the good stuff that's the big deal he says yeah yeah the planets are great the stars are great the galaxies are great but you you're created in my image and you're the one you're the one that I value the most you're the reason why I gave Jesus not not all this other stuff you're the one created in his image because God has never made a good enough person. God says to you and to me and to each one of us that you are the work of his hand. That you have been created in his image. And that is why it is so important that you value yourself correctly. A lot of people are so wrongly convinced. They, they think that they are being humble by demeaning themselves and belittling, belittling themselves when in actuality, they're still just thinking about themselves. And it's just pride in the other direction. To think about yourself properly is to realize God made me. God loves me. And to quote VeggieTales, he thinks you're special. Right? He does. 
And so you realize God loves you. You love him because he first loved you. You realize that you're worthy of love because if he gave Jesus to save you, what does that say about you? And then, and then you realize, hey, he didn't just give Jesus for me. He gave Jesus for Holly. He gave Jesus for Ayana. He gave Jesus for Irby. He gave Jesus for Brad. He gave Jesus for Pastor Allen. He gave Jesus for Brian. He gave Jesus for that guy that just cut me off in traffic. Right? He gave Jesus for that person at the, at the checkout taking too long trying to find change, and I would just pay for it if they would get out of my way, and I'd swipe my card, and we'd be done. Right? He gave Jesus for that person. And so then, you receive his love. You love him back. You begin to love yourself And you begin to love others because you realize they too are his masterpiece. They too are his handiwork. You guys okay for a little bit more? So love, before we can can give love, we have to receive love because you can't give something you don't have. There's a lot of people that struggle to love properly because they have such a low view of themselves. Because they don't, value themselves, they struggle to properly value others. Because they don't love themselves, they, proper, they, they struggle to properly love others. So love must be received. And then once love is received, love must be chosen. Love must be chosen. This is probably the most important sentence I'll read outside of Scripture this morning. And it's this. Love isn't just an emotion. Love is an emotion, But love is not just an emotion. Love is a choice. Love is a decision. So many marriages, so many families are ruined. So many children grow up in broken homes because mom and dad thought they fell out of love. When in actuality, once the infatuation wore off and once the emotions got strained and once the bodies got tired... They didn't have the feeling that they used to have. And so because they didn't have the feeling they used to have, they stopped making the choice to love. They stopped making the choice to love. Jesus says, this is my commandment. This is John 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Love isn't just a isn't sappy, just sappy feelings, right? Love isn't just cheap chocolates in a heart-shaped box, unless they're dove chocolates, then I would call that love, right? (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. But real love is more than feelings. Real love is a choice. And let's be real. Sometimes that choice is hard. Sometimes that choice is hard because real love sometimes, sometimes, actually I would say this, real love almost all the time costs us and and no one no one I don't care how good of a person they are I don't care how good of a Christian they are nobody likes sacrificing what they want to give somebody else what they want how did Jesus love us he laid down his life for us he said by this just rereading it by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for others now How many of you understand that this does not necessarily mean that we die for someone? It it could mean that, right? Like, 
It certainly could mean that, but oftentimes what it really means is that we die to our preferences, we die to our desires, we die to our opinions for the sake of someone else's gain. And no one wants to do this because we all want it our way. No, no, one, no one wants, at least not after the first week, no one wants to lose sleep for a newborn baby to eat, right? You know, after maybe the first few days, your heart, you know, I mean, I don't know, my wife may disagree. I, this guy did not want to lose sleep, right? You know what I'm saying? No, no, no man wants to, to give up, you know, a, an action movie to watch a chick flick, right? No, please tell me no man wants to do that. Yeah, right? Um, no, no one wants to help their friend move on, over the weekend, and for the love of God, if you're over the age of 30, don't ask your friends to help you move. You just, you, you pay people. You pay a moving. Like, listen, we'll set up a GoFundMe to, to pay a moving company to help you move, okay? Like, if you're under 30, then go for it. Just don't ask me because I'm almost 40 and I don't want to do that. Yeah, but nobody wants to do those things. But because of Jesus, because of the love of God, because of the infilling and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we can choose to love others by putting others before ourselves. Right? Because love isn't just an emotion. It is an emotion. But more than anything, it's a choice. Love is a choice. So love must be received. Love must be chosen. And then number three, love must be expressed. It must be expressed. John writes in 1 John chapter 4, verse 12, he says, he says, no one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. I'm going to read it again. He says, no one's ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. Let me, let, me, let me give you a paraphrase of that, okay? Are you ready? This is worth writing down. When we love, the invisible God becomes visible. When we love, the invisible God becomes visible. We, we express our love to God when we choose his ways over our ways, when we choose what he wants over what we want. Remember, Jesus said it himself, you will know my disciples because they love one another. And if you love me, Jesus says, you'll keep my commands. And he also says, and this is really important, and my commands won't be burdensome. You remember that part? Anybody know that scripture? He says to his disciples, if you love me, you'll keep my commands, and my commands won't be burdensome. You go back to the newborn baby. It's when, when you bring that baby home and you're so in love with that baby, getting up at 1 a.m. isn't burdensome, right? Now, when they're six years old or seven years old and they throw up in your bedroom floor, it gets burdensome, okay? Can I get a witness to that? Right? Yeah, we know, right? But, but the reason why it's not a burden to, to get up with them is because you are so in love with that little 10-pound bundle of joy, right? And Jesus is what he's saying, that if you will fall in love with me, choosing my way over the other way, it, it's not hard anymore because you want to do it because you're so in love. That's like when you're dating your future spouse, like staying up late and talking on the phone and doing all those things. Like you love it when you've been married for 15 years. It's not so great, but that's okay because then you make the choice to love. So 
We express our love to God when we choose His ways over our ways. When we choose holiness that reflects His nature over the pleasure that reflects sin. When we choose the people that God loves over the preferences that we prefer. We express our love to ourselves when we believe what God says about us whether uh, over that what that voice in our head says about us right and we express our love to others when we place their needs and their desires ahead of our own when we share the gospel and when we share the truth of God's word even when it's unpopular or uncomfortable when we when we lay aside our desires to help fulfill the desires of others husbands wives this starts at home by serving one another by choosing to love choosing to serve it's, Moms, dads, it's by serving your children, by choosing to play with them rather than sit on the couch and watch TV all afternoon. Things like that, right? I was reading a few weeks ago as we celebrated the anniversary for September 11th. And I read that on that day, 343 firefighters died when the Twin Towers collapsed. And I don't know about you, but I'm going to tell you something that's embarrassing. When I was like in elementary school, I took one karate class. And for the rest of my school career, I daydreamed about someone busting up in the classroom trying to beat up somebody and how I would stand up and protect them. That's embarrassing. And I think, especially for men, we all want to be the hero, right? And I think when we hear things like that, we think to ourselves, and, and women do as well, you know, if, if I had to lose my life to protect somebody else, I would do it. But for most of us, we're not going to be asked to give up our life for someone else. But every single day, we are asked to give up what we want so that we can give someone else what they want. So, so my thought for you is this. If we're not willing to do the small things to love, to serve, to give, what makes us think we would ever do the big things? And lastly, another key ingredient to loving others the way Jesus has loved you, the way Jesus has loved me, is choosing to forgive. If he can forgive me, for all I've done, that I can forgive you and we can forgive one another. And as you stand this morning, go ahead, stand. I would say this to you, that perhaps at no other time in your life are you more like Jesus when you make the choice, because love is a choice, when you make the choice to forgive someone who has hurt you. So we produce love by receiving it, by choosing it, and by expressing it. And with that thought in mind, just for a moment, I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm just curious today if there's anyone in the room who would say, Pastor, I'm one of those people that struggle to love themselves. And I need the Lord to help me with that. Would you just lift your hand high in the air? Lift it really high. Lift it really high. Well, if your hand is up first and foremost, I want to tell you that you are loved. That you are worthy of love. 
God, I pray over these men and these women that have just lifted their hands. Lord, I pray that you would touch them in the name of Jesus, that you would remind them that they are loved and highly valued. And God, you didn't just say they are loved. God, you demonstrated your love. You showed your love by sending Jesus that while we were still sinners, to die for us, to give himself for us. And Lord, we thank you for that. God, I pray that for everyone who lifted their hand, that you would remind them in a special and obvious way that they are loved, that they are loved by you, that they are worthy of love. That voice that continues to try to beat them up or, or, or bring them down, Lord, that you would squash that. And Lord, that your spirit would speak to them, reminding them and, and encouraging them and telling them and showing them how loved and how valued they are. And we pray it in Jesus' name.